0: Welcome back to the Scared Stiff Podcast. I am Mike Hawkins, your host, and this is my co-host, Scott Noyce. Just another reminder, on our YouTube channel, we have extra videos pertaining to tangents we go on during episodes or other topics that we want to discuss after the episode. So if you would like to check out more Scared Stiff, go ahead to that YouTube channel and check out those videos. Um, How are you doing today, Scott? Okay, I'm a little tired.
1: Oh, actually, you know what? I I did want to tell you a story, and I think it, it'd be fine to tell on the podcast. I went to trivia the other night. Yep, it was uh me, Connor, uh, Nick, and Jason, and and Al showed up too. When we were doing it, when we were trying to do a name. I was like, Dude, I. I all the names I wanted to pick were... It's rated right R trivia. So all the names I wanted to pick, it's like, oh, it's too far. It's just not good enough. You got to think of a name the guy's going to think is funny. We didn't get anything better because what's going to top sex with dad? First of all, the fucking guy did a great didn't clip to take that. out of
0: context. That's a he, great clip.
1: Yeah, like, he didn't pick that. He clearly picked the worst possible fucking name. So there's one point in the game for trivia where you have to write out 15 names or whatever, and do it within a minute. And they're getting over the categories. like, who here is a big fan of Disney films? And I took the paper from Connor. I was like, I don't fucking care what it is. I got you, boys. This is all me. <laughs> and let me tell you, it was Disney villains. And you got to write out 15 Disney villains. It would be easy as fucking pie for me to do that. But everyone's yelling at me, names. And I can't think if I can't process, right? Yeah. And holy shit, I can't think of anything. The only thing I was able to write down on my head was Jafar. But then everyone's like, this, that, that. And when everyone's yelling names, you can't process yourself. Yeah. All I had was, oh, what the fuck's the guy's name from Tarzan? It's Clay. But I can't Clayton. think it because all I can think of is Tarzan. And then someone yells a name, yells a name, yells a name. And Connor goes, Hades. I was like, okay, I can I, – I got that. I listened to that. But then I'll just keep going, Hades, 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 H-A-D-E-S. I'm like, I don't want to fucking spell Hades, bro. You just kept going, Hades, Hades. And I got so mad. I'm not kidding you. I got so mad where – I literally put the pencil on the table and I screamed, oh! and I just I just erupted in the middle of the fucking trivia night. And then it's like five seconds left. I took the pencil, I grabbed it like this, and I read Shrek.
0: <laughs> we, fucking...
1: we, we fucking we did terrible, but oh you you would. It was fucking
0: hilarious. So you, you said I got this and they're like. Screaming names at you, and like I if, know if nobody you. Nobody
1: said anything. I could have written fifteen down myself. Easy. Exactly. I would go I in know order you from like when the films came out, and be like, oh yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, I know you, so I know that you would have totally done that, probably <laughs> with time to spare. It's so and... bad
1: that like I couldn't even do Captain Hook. Connor had to say Captain Hook for me, and he's like, "Oh, fucking Peter, Captain Hook." I was like. Holy fuck! I can't even think of Captain Hook. Jesus Christ!
0: Oh, well, when you get when you get fucking badger like that, so like it's tough to fucking have a train of thought. I get it though. Um,
1: also, like you're not, no one's looking at the names on the sheets. They're just trying to think of names. I get it, but I kind of wish I just said, "Hey guys, don't talk. I can do this." But. It's not how it goes sometimes, but yeah. that was really fucking funny. And the fucking trivia guys like, oh yeah, so we got some funny answers here. Uh, I'm not gonna re- read them all, but there's two here that I'm gonna get bonus points for because they're technically right or whatever. And it was like Darth Vader and Thanos, and I'm like, you're oh, gonna fuck give, off. you're gonna give bonus points, for, points for fucking Thanos, but I don't, don't get me. a point for Shrek, bro. Come on, <laughs> DreamWorks give- is the ultimate Disney villain. Let's be real. But yeah, that was that was my little story I had to tell. I thought it was that, funny and I wanted to mention that's
0: that. that's funny. That's really funny. I, I would I would have loved to have come to trivia. It's just that that's that's a that's a hike for me. Grow up. No. <laughs> How's your day going? That's okay. I literally just started, so that's pretty good, you know. About half hour ago I got up, so yeah, I've been editing. I, I was supposed to get up at 9 30 and I don't think my alarm went off a little bit pissed off about that. I am, however, excited to talk about the movie that we're talking about today because um, you have had an affinity for this movie that I didn't before. Not that I didn't like it, but it was a movie that I, I watched it and I'm like, yeah, that's really good, but I was not as 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 big of a fan of it as you. Things have changed. This time, I I really came out of it really loving it and enjoying it. So I would like you to introduce the movie based off the fact that you adore it so much even though the people who are listening to this already know the title of it because it's the title of the podcast but whatever
1: this movie that we're going to talk about is curse of frankenstein i'm a big fan of all of the interpretations of all the classic horror monsters but curse of frankenstein is not my favorite of the frankenstein mythos my favorite is still bride of frankenstein i still adore the first frankenstein but i think curse of frankenstein is one of hammer's best purely because they take things in a different direction, just like they do with Horror of Dracula and a lot of their other films, but they really do benefit from keeping things simple, fleshing out characters, going in a new direction, but also making the characters feel very real and distinct. I love Van Helsing in Horror of Dracula, but I don't love Dracula. In this film, when you have the two antithesis characters being Victor Frankenstein and, and the monster or the creature in this one, Victor Frankenstein... Is not like the other Victor Frankensteins. He's an absolute sociopath that'll do anything he wants to get what he feels he deserves by the end of the film. In the creature, not nearly as sympathetic or as great as Boris Karloff. He's he's not even like he's not even close to being as sympathetic. He's not supposed to be like the oh well you feel bad for it you don't feel bad for him this guy does just go out and you kill he's just he's just a monster at the end of the day and there's nothing that stops him but you do feel bad because a lot of things that cause that aren't his fault or like They're out of his control the, the brain getting damaged his fucking eye getting shot and all these yeah. things that really do make him more complex and more distraught mentally like i also not think that's surprising that-
0: this time around, watching that monster because like I, I the first time I watched the movie, I'm like, yeah, I really enjoy the movie based off of um, Frankenstein himself because it's a completely different take on on the, the 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 story because it rather than the first one, the first one really like the the 30s one, it was more of a it's about the monster more than it's about the man, and in this one, the monster is the man, arguably, but it's about Frankenstein rather than the monster, which, which recontextualizes it all very differently. And when he gets to the monster, the late great Christopher Lee, he he brings a, it's, it's not something that wasn't there with the Boris Karloff version because the Boris Karloff version was very um, sympathetic. And I wouldn't say that this version of the monster is nearly as sympathetic as that one. But when you think about it from his from the perspective of something born into this world with a partially non-functioning brain, um, it does become kind of sad because his his aggression, the things that he does, it's not something that he, it's not a choice. It, it's It's a matter of his brain just saying, this is what we're gonna do because it's damage. Um, and I think Christopher Lee himself, Um, really sells that in in his performance because i I remember when i watched this the first time i just i didn't really like the monster was like the least interesting part of the movie um but this time around watching christopher lee in the role yes he doesn't really get a whole lot to do but the thing is that he does especially his performance because you can see in his face this this anguished confusion it just doesn't understand what's going on i found his performance very very um interesting this time around
1: I wouldn't even just say that the facial features or the the way he he emotes with just his uh his uh face. I would also say a lot of the body movements. There's the scene where he tells him to to sit up and then yeah. um and sit down. The way Christopher Lee emotes with his body, it makes it feel like it is this like creature's first few months learning how to walk or learning how to do these things on a command versus being instinctual. I think that's really great because I mean, Boris Karloff's a very different type of character. His yeah. his is uh, monsters. It it's almost knows these things on instinct still, but the abnormal part of him isn't just what to do, it's how to act. But for this one, this one's first instinct is to kill (laughs) nearly or his first instinct is just to act purely on instinct not think don't don't bother
0: with anything and i think that's funny because that that seems like the antithesis again to to frankenstein because frankenstein does these terrible horrible at times violent things that make him a very irredeemable character who if this was the only movie in the franchise gets his own at the end but it's not the thing is the monster kind of reflects that because his first instinct is violence and and forcing things to be the way that he wants them to be so he the first thing he does is he attacks the person who created him because it's it's also a measuring of expectations from Frankenstein himself because he's expecting oh man well, for one thing, he didn't even know that the, the bastard was alive. He had no idea that the, that the monster was, was alive at the time. But he was expecting his creation to be perfect to a degree that kind of drives him even crazier that it's not and that his creation attacked him. Um, and I think that's a really, really smart um, way to contextualize that dynamic between them.
1: What I'm going to do a lot of this film is compare Frankenstein 1931 to Curse of Frankenstein, purely because the way these films are set up is so similar in the way certain characters impact others, but how certain characters also take a limelight in one version versus the other. They are very similar with the way they hit narrative beats, especially, but more so just how character dynamics will influence other dynamics. The Victor Frankenstein that's played by Colin Clive in the first film from uh, 1931, he is not creating this creature out of hate. He's creating it because he's pompous and he wants to play God. But he's also doing it because This is a dream of his. And he is more sympathetic because he doesn't understand the weight of what he's doing. And that entire ideology of not understanding the weight of his decisions impacts his monster. That is what that monster becomes when he's given life. He also does things and doesn't understand the weight of those actions. And he's sympathetic. Whereas this Frankenstein and Curse of Frankenstein will do anything out of just not just a lust for glory, but just like he's bloodthirsty. He'll do anything he can to make what he wants at the end of the day and anything that gets in his way he takes it out he's a sociopath it it starts off with just oh i need this for the project but then you see like with his maid starts to threaten about going to the police he'll do anything to get rid of her too yeah and that's reflected purely on the monster he creates the monster he creates also has those same notions in his brain that the whole idea of giving birth to this creation is the, the idea of giving life. It's about giving birth. It's about humans using the power to give birth, but not obviously through like childbirth, but through your own spirit. creation. It is so even more so because he's in like it like the little square tube, which is kind of like their idea Just of the like embryo. Yeah. So that's why a lot of the traits the monster gets are the worst traits from Frankenstein in both versions, realistically.
0: I still find it interesting though that um aside from, from Frankenstein himself, generally speaking, at least especially at the beginning, he doesn't attack until he feels threatened, aside from Frankenstein. Because like even with the with the blind man. He wasn't attacking the blind man. He was just standing there, and he was just holding the the stick or whatever and whatever. And the blind man like shoved the stick at him. Like he's gonna hit him with it. And then he then he went violent. Well, we assume um, that. we don't see what happened with the
1: kid. We though. don't know about the kid. Yeah, that's
0: yeah, we problem. don't know about the kid, but also. At that point, he's in this this blind, um, violent rage, and you know anything in his path is going to be destroyed. So even from that perspective, he's he he definitely reflects Victor Frankenstein, but he definitely is still a much more sympathetic character. Well, character, yeah, he's he's just a much more sympathetic character because it's really not him so much. It's not the same as the as the 1930s one, where the 1930s one is pretty much a good a good soul to a degree. It's just he doesn't understand A, his own strength. He doesn't understand the world that he lives in. He doesn't understand that he can't just simulate into the world to just walk around and expect to not be uh, attacked. He is a much more tragic figure in in the 30s one, but he's still a sympathetic character here at least, which yeah, I didn't was, which I, are- I didn't get the first time I watched it. The first time I was just like, oh, he's just kind of the monster. He's just kind of there. But watching it this time, I really really um, got into Lee's performance and how smartly the um, the Sangster script that backs this movie actually develops that character.
1: When I say that they are like one gives birth to the other and he takes on the traits, it's more of in a flip switch type of way, though, because when Frankenstein starts off in Curf- Curse of Frankenstein, he is sympathetic. He's just a guy trying to learn yeah. and do whatever he can. And he He's evolves dreadful. into being a sociopath that will do anything that gets in his way. Whereas the beginning of the 1931 version of Frankenstein, he really is more understandable no in the 31 he really is just hell bent on getting his way in, in the 31 version he has nothing stop him the first interaction you get with other people is him reprimanding them for being get out of here you don't belong here i'm doing my my procedures this is important i don't need you he's very strong he's very adamant he's very egotistical but as that film goes on he becomes way more sympathetic and he starts to understand shit i i really realize i've been messing up which is in curse the the, the exact opposite and yeah. you could say the same thing in those films where when you start off with the monster in the 1931 version, he's much more bloodthirsty. He's he's much more adamant to reflect violence. But as the film goes on, he's less inclined to be violent. His actions could and could cause violence, but it's not intentional. Well, he That's also why the end happening with the him getting burned down in the windmill, it's like, yeah, but a lot of that isn't to his own doing.
0: Yeah, but also um in the 31 version. If I'm, I haven't seen it in a bit, but he gets fucking like mentally tortured. Well, yeah, by Igor. Yes, and it's just like uh, no, no. I thought it was Igor. It's Fritz. Fritz is Fritz, the Fritz, Fritz. 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 Um, yeah, he gets the third movie. Yeah, he he gets fucking he gets tortured by by this by this fucking guy and he murdered to him. That, Yeah, to that degree, it's like I understand. I mean, like I know I know that he still has violent tendencies before dealing with that stuff, but it that really exacerbates it. And it's not until he escapes where he he starts to experience the world and starts to become cultured or whatever you want to say, where he starts to find his place in the world. And, you know, it all sucks that it gets that scene with the little girl and everything goes tits up after that. But, yeah, he's definitely I I agree with about Victor Frankenstein himself in in the 30s uh, movie. But I still think that even even at his worst at the beginning, he's not even close to this guy. What do you mean this guy? in 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 curse he's, he's no, not he's even not close, close. Um, i still think that you ca- sw- i can still see switch. him i can still see him as a human being at his worst in the 30s whereas in this one where he get, where the, the places he goes like yeah the first like 30 minutes of the movie he's he's a, just a driven character but you can you could still see even when he goes to get the the dead body that's hanging you can see this this glint of its absolute fucking nutcase behind his eyes and that's just the beauty of of uh, Peter Cushion's performance, because he's just incredible in this. But like you can see behind his eyes that the absolute just sociopathic tendency where he just he's so nonchalant about this guy's dead body, which is like, oh, he doesn't need he, he doesn't need any of this anymore. It's like, it's fine it's now. Like, that's crazy to me. And that's that's not even like his worst. Like he gets he gets way worse than that. That's before he even kills anybody. So I, I still, I would still wager like, I'm not saying that this is what you're saying. I'm just, I'm just uh deliberating a point just that like they really took this character to an extreme degree as far as his just sociopathic tendencies in this movie. That that's a good thing because it really differentiates it from the previous versions of the, fa- of, of the character um, in, in a really authentic way. That is inherently just hammers version of it. I found that really, really cool, especially considering that they were not allowed to to use any icon. any iconography any any kind of stylistic tendencies they couldn't even call um for the frankenstein's monster the monster he had to be the creature like they they were they were under a lot of legal hamstringing as far as what they could and couldn't do creatively with this film and they went in my opinion the best direction instead of focusing on the monster they focused on the man and i found that very interesting
1: well what i'm talking about isn't the difference between the frankensteins i'm talking about how the Frankenstein to the monster scenarios is similar for the fact that one will start off sympathetic and then one will turn violent when it comes to Curse of Frankenstein. But I think it's a flip switch when it comes to the original one, because the monster becomes more sympathetic at the end of Frankenstein, the first one. And yes. this one, it's not the same case. In Curse of Frankenstein, he isn't sympathetic at all at the end. Like you could feel bad for some things that happen to him, but like he he willingly kills. He willingly does whatever he wants. And that's very much created out of the Frankenstein that created him. Like, that's why he acts like that. Still, it's, it's not the same thing as in the original Frankenstein. Victor realizes the mistake he makes and he wants to stop it. And that Frankenstein, at that point, you do feel bad for him because a lot of these things are kind of outside of his realm of decision making. He doesn't know what he's doing. This monster is just trying to live. And in itself, that is against nature. And that's the whole theme of the movie. Or in yeah. this one, it's it's like <laughs> the more violence breeds violence. In Curse of Frankenstein, he yes. really does have lose all sympathy, and he showcases that with the way he treats people when it comes to Victor Frankenstein. And as the monster gets more and more time, you can feel bad for how Victor treats him, but you know that
0: monster can't live.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> and- I
0: agree. I I, but I would I would say that say that even though um some of the stuff that he does deems he definitely can't live. That doesn't mean he's not something that you can't feel sympathy for when he It's, no, like, absolutely put, not. it's like putting a rabbit dog out of its misery. I agree, though. I, I definitely agree that it, the way that they take the monster and, and Frankenstein is completely different. But I still I still really love that dichotomy between the two. And That's why I like it so much is because it is so distinctly
1: different in, in Curse, but they still follow the same structure as the monster follows in the footsteps of the father. It's yes. just in this film, the father isn't sympathetic. He doesn't turn his route. He sticks his course, and he becomes more deranged. And the, the monster does the same exact thing.
0: Yeah, I think I think this movie more so than the than the um, the thirty one version. Really, the theme does really come out to be not not the theme, but the question the the movie really poses is who is the real monster? Although I think it answers that pretty easily. But I, I always found that I always find that that kind of an idea for a movie very interesting because it's making us look at ourselves and what we as a species are capable of. I think
1: saying what are we capable of is a great way of putting it because Victor Frankenstein showcases in this film that he will do literally anything. And when the monster reacts violently, it's not him doing it out of bloodlust. It's him doing it on instinct. There's nothing instinctual about what Victor does. Victor does everything with a point behind his mind saying, this is in my way. It has to go. And that's it's similar with the 31 version. He does a lot of things like that, but this guy, <laughs> oh man, he, he wouldn't think twice about beating a child to death if it meant helping form some creation of his. Like
0: and this and the, the most insane thing too is that like he's pretty much our not protagonist, but he's our main character. And and this is the this is the character we're following through these events. We're not following Paul, who's the, the awesome. good guy.
1: Paul is awesome Paul. though.
0: I love Paul. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, like, we're not following Paul through this our main character is Frankenstein. So the main character of the story is a piece of garbage, a very, very intelligent piece of garbage, but he's, he's a piece of garbage. I'm glad you brought up Paul though, because I, I want to talk about Paul because
1: Paul's a character that doesn't really exist so much in the original Frankenstein. There's another person that clearly loves Elizabeth in the original Frankenstein, but he really isn't a character as much as just being the other guy. Yeah. But Paul in this character is... He's not a protagonist, but he's much more important than a regular supporting
0: character. He's a, he's a voice of reason. He's very important. Yeah,
1: and he goes along with Victor Frankenstein on this entire journey. He's his teacher. So that's another thing that gets kind of brought up. It's like, like, who becomes the master? Who becomes the teacher at the end? And that's why when Victor starts to get to a point where he thinks he knows everything, he's doing everything, Paul's saying, there's certain reasons why I won't get this far, and I'm trying to stop you but nothing will stop Victor. Yeah. And that sets up a great dichotomy between those two because Paul does genuinely love Victor. He's a great friend and he doesn't want him to commit, commit these atrocities. And he's not trying to stop Victor because out of any malicious, jealous, or hateful reason, he just wants his friend to make sure, like, don't go too far. You can't you can't go back after well, this. Once,
0: once you ring a certain bell, you can't unring it. Exactly, And and that's where, that's where Victor is heading and Paul sees it and he wants it. He wants him to not hit that, that point. But the problem is, is that after a certain point, Paul can't do anything about it. And it becomes more so about shutting down Victor's creation and essentially taking, he, he allows his friend to die to his knowledge because the, the things that, that Victor knows cannot be redone. Like he, he created a monster and if, if Victor lives, he'll do it again. Yes. So Victor, does, Victor, Victor doesn't think he's done anything wrong. He he thinks that what he's doing is for the betterment of mankind, whereas it really is just to feed his own intellect, and his own ego. Um, it, is, it is funny if you think about
1: it. Well, no, not really. I mean, technically, Victor doesn't kill anybody in the movie. He doesn't. He's responsible for a death, but he doesn't kill her. He he put
0: he pushed the oh the, yeah down that, that's true he, he he fucking straight up no. he, he fucking shoved him through through the banister he's old anyway someone had to take him out of his misery <laughs> his population control is that you are
1: saying yeah he's... yeah no yeah, yeah he I straight up <laughs> I kind of forgot about that because
0: yeah, he straight up murders him so. yeah no you're right he only gets worse as the as the franchise goes on too like he he gets the, he's a fucking rapist you know he fucking just kills so many people. <laughs> He's just a fucking monster. He's not a rapist? I thought he, didn't he? Didn't he fucking like no? Something with Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing is a borderline rapist in one of these movies. It's not this movie. He hasn't raped anybody. Yeah. No, he not, in, fair not Made not in this movie. I'm saying as the franchise goes on. Um, I thought it was one of the Frankenstein movies, but it's something with Peter Cushing and the Hammer verse. It's I'm not. Sure. It's not. He, Van he plays Helsing. some fucking terrible characters. It's, it's not film. Van Helsing. I'll tell you that much. No kind of funny i i, I, I swear to god it, it it is frankenstein possibly i know it's not this one but it is later in the franchise yeah no like i mean we, we we've we've talked a lot about the terrible things that 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 frankenstein does in this movie and you know his relationship with paul and all that stuff i really do want to focus really quickly on Pierre Cushing himself because this is before this movie um as i've read he was a primarily a television actor and With this movie, this movie launched him into stardom. And you and I both pretty much uniformly agree that this might be possibly one of, if not the greatest performances he's had. Of the Uh, ones I've seen? Oh, actually, he's really good in Twins of Evil.
1: If you saw Twins of Evil, he's fucking phenomenal in that. He plays this fucking head of the church who goes around burning women that he thinks are witches, getting rid of all the sins of the town, but he's a terrible fucking bastard but he has to be the protagonist of the film and he kind of learns his mistakes. And I'm not saying he's
0: redeemed Kind of similar. Yeah. Oh, he's so much. No, I'm sure he's worse. I'm just saying it's funny. He plays two bastard characters that are just happen to be the protagonists of the movie. But in, but in this, (laughs) but in this one, he, he doesn't get redeemed. He's just death. Isn't
1: redemption. It's death.
0: Yeah. No, he's he's... evil.
1: It's not like he gets redeemed, but like you have to side with him versus the monster. Yeah. See, if he died in this film, technically no like it wouldn't really be a problem be like yeah fuck Victor
0: well, the, the whole point again like the, at the end of this movie is just that Paul allows his friend to die despite the fact that he knows the knowledge that would save his life yeah. because if they allow Victor to live he will just create the monster again Yeah. and we'll be back where we started so it's, it's a fucked up ending but it's it's the only ending uh, uh, I mean, and now it's a franchise so it doesn't really matter but yeah. if, if you just look at this movie isolated it's the only way that that story could end in any way that is a positive yeah it just in twins of evil like he can't die because
1: everybody in the village will be doomed if he doesn't so i i like i think his portrayal is just as good in that movie and you should really check that out but that doesn't take anything away from him being fantastic in this film one of my favorite things is when he talks about uh, getting the brain if you notice peter cushing when he says like i need to get a brain and he looks at paul's head but after he says that yeah, he i, I love that scene because i didn't realize that when i first watched it, i'm like fuck he'll do like he'll take his head like
0: yeah okay oh, yeah, like it's, it's really cushing the way that he sells certain things like he, they're, they're like he has like certain lines that like they're just really fucking insane especially like um it's not even, actually this line's not even insane it's just the way that that cushing delivers it where um you, you say like how he how he um looks at paul's head When he says he's going to get the brain, but I think it's more so like towards the end where he's like, Oh, I'll get it. He just looks so fucking manic. Like he looks, he looks like he's, he's about to murder somebody to get the brain. And that is
1: like, and like, that's Uh, the reason I don't say that scene is because it's clear. You know what I mean? Like it's clear what he's going to do. He'll get anything. I just love the scene where he looks at Paul's head because it's so subtle. And it's a small thing that Cushing does that. Like, if you don't notice it and pick up on it, be like, Oh wow. I Holy shit. Like he, he means fucking anything. Yeah. Like, There's also another scene that he does that it's just the small things Cushing does that get me because all those big overblown things, they're fantastic and everyone knows, but there's things that I like picking up on the film where I really have to watch it again to notice when he's saying to the monsters there and Hey, uh, let our friend rest. And he just goes for now. And he just kind of walks away from it. It's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Cause he's not looking at it as, as a person. Yeah. Like he's looking at it as, as a thing. That's his thing. So it's like he could be callous about it. He's so commanding. He's, he's, he's a mesmerizing fucking charismatic character that is just a bastard. Like he is a terrible person often. And like, yes, some of it is because like even Paul tries to make excuses for him, which again, like it, it it really reinforces how much Paul is like his friend. Like he really cares about him. Like, even he kind of downplays how fucking nuts Victor is. And he's like, no, he's not crazy. He's just driven by by his desire to, to 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 improve on his monster or whatever. And she's like, no, Paul, he's fucking crazy. He's just nuts. Don't don't downplay it for your friends. And like I get it. Like like that's that's kind of like a really cool layer to Paul because I was watching it last night and, I, and that scene came. Up. I'm like, no, no, Paul, no, he's fucking crazy. Don't downplay it. But it's like that's his buddy like not buddy but like that's Ed's his friend, his, like, like, somebody friend. he cares about yeah like, he cares about the guy so he's not trying to say oh my best friend is a fucking sociopath and like i get that it's just like when i was watching i'm like no that's so stupid why would paul say that and i'm just like no he's a fucking human being why wouldn't he try to like downplay that for friend but um cushing just God, every scene he just he's awesome because he has like this descent whereas like at the beginning like he's, he is genuinely just he wants to learn these things so he could be like the foremost of his field and like again like like on another side of the coin, like Cushing sells the craziness, but he also really sells how smart and knowledgeable this character is. He just seems like an intelligent person. And it seems that he was too intelligent for his own good in in this. And there's a point in the movie where like any logical person would have said, I'm good. We're done. We should not do this anymore, but he's just, he's so focused and driven on playing God and, and, um, you know, even to the point, like even at even at the beginning of the movie where it's supposed to be, it's it's beginning at the end. Um, he's talking to the fucking priest, and the priest is just like, "Do you want me to read you your, or, or do you want me? You want a spiritual consolation or something? Whatever. I can't remember what the line itself was, but um, he's like, "Do you need spiritual guidance, son?" And he's like, "No, save that for the people. Save for that, save that for the people that need it." or think they need it. Yeah, think they need it. And it's just like he's like no, he still thinks he's fucking god because he's he's a he's a scientist. Like just that that self-absorbed malicious attitude that he has, it's ridiculous. It's it, it's ridiculous how fucking good Cushing is in this.
1: I think another great um comparison with this film is how staggeringly different Elizabeth is versus the first one because she talks about how much she loves um Victor and it's shown throughout the entirety of the film Victor literally could not care less about her yeah he they're, they're all which is very than him vastly different compared to the original because you know when the monster does take elizabeth victor does want her back he's like oh, no like that's the one person i really care about but in this film when oh, he says when he sees Elizabeth gets captured by the monster, he's like, "Fucking, I'll shoot everywhere. <laughs> Fucking, I don't well, care if I hit her."
0: It's like he for hits a second he
1: doesn't think twice. He's like, oh, "That's one down. I got another to go." I was
0: gonna say like, the, like it seems for a second like he's like, "No, put her down." And it's like, "Oh man," like maybe he does kind of care, but when he shoots her, he doesn't react at all. to shooting, like he's like, "Oh fuck, I missed." Like that's 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 his reaction. It's not like, "Oh no, I shot my my future wife." Like, "Oh no." I think another thing they were going for is
1: at the end of the film, I believe it's this too, that we are saying like Paul doesn't give the information because Victor will create a monster again. Another way it could play out is very much that like, maybe, maybe he is just fucking batshit insane.
0: Well, even either way though, like you're right where they do. They It could kind of be framed. It's not as far like as that.
1: American werewolf or anything, but no,
0: it's not, it's not as, as, as detailed as it is, but I'll say that they do end the movie in a more ambiguous place than, uh, than uh, uh, the werewolf does because yeah. werewolf is like yeah no he's a fucking werewolf guys 100% um, but you, you could make an argument the the only problem with the argument is that there's a franchise now but when this movie came out yeah you could make that argument for sure um, 100%. Took, this movie just isolated you movie can't always look at the, the film singularly coming from that perspective I definitely don't think that that's the intention intent. no I agree e- even though it's not the intent it's definitely something that's left there that you could totally argue and I would, I would understand what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I agree. I don't agree with it. I wouldn't say that it is all up in his head, but you can definitely look at it from that perspective. I think it's weird to say comparative to even a film from the 1930s, but I do feel like this Elizabeth is much, much less of a character.
0: Yeah. She's, she's, she doesn't really do much.
1: I mean, she's just very blindly uh, obsessive for Victor, but even a way where it's, It's so devoted for no real cause besides, oh, he supported me. And I get that, but we never see Victor's interactions with you to believe that he's a caring person versus even in the 31 version. Like he showcases so many scenes when he's with Elizabeth that he does care a lot for her. So when she does turn a blind eye to him, it it makes sense.
0: Yeah. And in like, uh, yeah, like in this one, he's like super dismissive of her. He's always leaving the house. Oh, yeah. she's just there I mean, like they kind of hit on it early in the movie where where Elizabeth is like the fact that I wasn't you know out on the street to him and all that stuff like and Paul's like I think you're confusing um, gratitude with love yeah and I'm like yeah I mean
1: no it, that's, there might be something there that's definitely set up from the beginning and I, I think that's great it's just that's so why it's hard to Paul get attached at to Elizabeth in the end when it's like she she really isn't much of a character she doesn't go through anything she just goes like oh yeah yep have fun cool oh you left the door unlocked look what i'm, I'm gonna go i'm gonna go take a peek at a gander and she goes
0: yeah. for a gander and she woo. i will say this though like somebody pointed, because i watched all the special features on the war archives disc last night and somebody pointed out something that i really wasn't really like paying attention to really um it's like she's like uh he's like you know maybe maybe one day uh i'll, I'll involve you in my experiments or something and she's yeah
1: like, i i remember that scene it's she's like, yeah. like i
0: would love to and she's like yeah he's like yeah one day maybe i will and he just looks at her and smiles i'm like oh that's fucking crazy that's yeah. disgusting that just made me feel gross because it's like he, he they're basically being like yeah i'm gonna make you the bride of frankenstein and go fuck yourself it's just like yeah it's gross that's so fucking gross and she's so oblivious to it too <laughs> it's so fucking
1: gross he doesn't care about her that's the only thing that really makes him not less sympathetic because he's already not sympathetic but that's the real big difference between the victor frankensteins from 31 and this one is that like there's no actual romance not just there's no actual romance but there's there's really no real emotion between a human being and victor like other than him and paul he
0: respects paul though it's not like, like yeah, but you he feel still like... cares about paul it's just he's just he's just nuts like he he does like if you think the monster took paul you think he would think twice before shooting though you yeah know what i mean i think i, I think, think he, he would. would i think he might have i don't think he would because at the cause at the end of the day, like he could, so many times he could have killed Paul. Like, it, yeah. he he would have solved a lot of problems. Like, but he respects
1: Paul. Paul. That that comes from an intellectual thing versus more of an emotional thing. So I I can one hundred percent believe he respects Paul, and that's why he lets Paul get away with certain things, and that's why he comes back to being like, oh yeah, you know, like kept with my experiments. Like he has gratitude towards Paul for that. Ironically, like how Elizabeth has gratitude towards him. But I don't think there's a place of like genuine love for paul even when elizabeth says how like oh i'm gonna invite paul to the wedding or whatever his first instinct is like i have something to show him it's not like oh paul like my buddy. it's more like yeah i brought the motherfucker back fair enough i think that's what's so crazy is that you know paul cares about him paul genuinely looks at victor like he's a friend a colleague and like someone very close and personal and i'm not saying the relationship didn't start out like that but even from the get-go you could see victor has an eagerness to learn And Victor has things that he wants to accomplish. And he may respect Paul, but. That respect can only go so far, it seems. That's why I don't think if if he grabbed Paul, I don't think he would hesitate either.
0: Really, at least not the way I interpret the film. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. It seems like there's more of a relationship there, though. I mean, like if there we're talking is. about flipping, if we're, fli- we're talking about flipping Paul and Elizabeth, I do think that there's a chance that 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 Victor does have a different reaction, especially because it seems like to him Elizabeth doesn't matter. Like she's just she there. She doesn't like cry. she's she's just there, and eventually it sounds like he's intending to use her later on for something else, which is even more disturbing. But like, there's no genuine like love and admiration or, or enjoyment he gets with being with her. It doesn't seem. Um, it, it all seems very fake and very um, like he's like, he, like a, it feels um performed. And that to me, I don't feel that so much with him, with Paul, because he genuinely wants Paul to do this with him. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if that really is so much. He has respect for Paul so much as this is his colleague and his friend. And he wants, he doesn't want to be at odds with his friend, despite the fact that he knows that if, if it comes down to it, Paul doesn't want to do it. He's not going to not do it because Paul doesn't want to do it. He's going to do it with it with or without him, but he does genuinely want Paul, not just because he needs Paul to operate certain things with him, but he genuinely wants his colleague back, his friend back. Um, I don't it, read At that. least that's the way that it plays to me in, in certain scenes where he's talking to Paul.
1: I always feel like having Paul around makes things easier for him and it makes the odds of things going well, much better For him, but it's not that like having Paul around makes things, it doesn't make him happier or like it's his friend at the end of the day. I would say so at the beginning of the fallout, he'll be like, hey, you know, maybe whatever. But you could also interpret that as don't make this tougher for me. Like I'm trying to get this done. Why are you getting between me and this? But after the, by the end of the film, it's so much shown to me that like Paul is just somebody he respects, but if he's in his way, he's still in his way. With the maid, yeah, he he sleeps with her and has an affair, but he doesn't love her. He doesn't he's not yeah. gonna be like, Oh yeah, whatever. That's why he doesn't have a problem killing her. Yeah. Or getting her killed. But he like also doesn't respect her in any single way. No, of course. Like, not. That's a that's just a lust thing. That's he's all just, she is. He doesn't
0: ask to her from the first time you see them on screen. Like it, it,
1: Yeah, that's all she is. So killing her is no problem. But literally, one of Paul, the first things
0: that she says to him is like, when are you gonna marry me? And she's like, What makes you, he's like, What makes you think I'm gonna marry you? Yeah. like, that's fucked up. But that to me is more so like, like looking at her, like her, like he has that affair with her. He doesn't care about her. So he just throws her away. He doesn't throw away Paul. And like, yeah, I do, I do agree that there's a degree of that where that is respect, but I do, I do think that there's a certain point in the movie where he's already succeeded. He doesn't need Paul anymore, but he still wants Paul there. That's, that's why to me, it does kind of land more. Like he does have, it may not be a genuine love in the way that you think that we would have with people. But there is, a, there is an affection there that he wants Paul there. He but wants I, him there. He doesn't need him there. He wants him there.
1: But I also don't think he wants Paul there because it's like, that's my friend. I want him there. I think it's more so he wants Paul there to be like, I did this again, and I've proven you wrong. Again, I'm correct, and you you fucked it up. Like, it's, it's, to me, it always plays out like having Paul there showcases that not only does he respect Paul, but he's proven that he's better than Paul. And that's how I always
0: read that personally. You I can never, dissect
1: a lot from their relationship. I would, relationship I would say I,
0: I never really read it as I'm better than you. Uh, less less so that and more so I will go where you won't. I have more ambition maybe to do this project or whatever, or I have more ambition to to do this. Not not necessarily like, oh, I'm smarter than you or anything like that. I think, I think it comes down to maybe in some moments it feels like he, he has that arrogance about him. I mean, he's definitely a very arrogant character. I don't think so. it's driven by saying I'm smarter than you, but it's driven by the fact that it's like, I nothing will accomplish things. That, not you, even like, you.
1: You're afraid to cross a line. Yeah. I'm not. A better way of saying it before saying like, I'm better than you. Is that like, even you can't stop me. Yeah. That's more so why, like, I feel like he wants Paul to come back is to say, is just to rub it in his face that like nothing can stop me. Not even you. I'd say Paul is the closest thing he has to real human emotion. Yeah. It's not, I don't think it is genuine love or, or, or anything of that, but it's the closest thing he has and that's why when the end he, he says, I want Paul to come here to show him. I still fucking did it. Like he can't stop me.
0: That's, well, why, think,
1: that's how that scene reads to me.
0: I, still think, I think that scene to me almost, is almost him chasing Paul's approval though, because the, the way that they've had that first interaction about the monster and how he's like, Oh, he's just a fucking, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. And like, he's, he's a violent, grotesque fucking sack of meat or whatever. The second one is him like showing like, Hey, look, look, I improved him. Like, He's better now. Like I, he follows my orders and all that stuff. Is him looking for Paul's approval to return to the project almost? He's just like, I can understand no, reading like, it that way. Like I want, like, I want you to see, like, I, I, have done better this time. Come back, please come back to me. Let's, let's do this together. I can't understand that.
1: I still see it from the perspective of like, you thought he was just going to be a mindless brute. Look what I've done. Look at
0: my progress. And he still I, is a mindless brute. I still
1: I can see how you'd
0: say that. I do still like, love I'm, the fact. I, like... I revise the point that I'm not. I'm not saying maybe he that he loves Paul to any degree like a human being would, but I do think it's a, definitely the closest thing to love that it, it maybe Victor understands. The closest thing. Yeah, I think it is a little bit more than respect. I think there is some some level of 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 caring, but it's not the way that like you and I would care about somebody. Mm-hmm. It's it's what he understands as caring, I guess. Also, one thing I did want to bring up—I know you were about to say something—but I, I was thinking about this when we started the when I started the movie was, do you think he wants to do this so badly because his parents died? No, do you think that his mother dying at, at such a young age has any any effect on it?
1: No, because the way that that Victor interacts from the beginning, I could almost believe in some way she could be responsible for his mother's death, so it makes things easier for him. He he shows no emotion towards his cousin. No emotion towards his aunt. I, the way he interacts with the closest thing he has to family, I would believe he, he acts the Alice. exact same with his family. Yeah. He seems more like a human being in the beginning of the film, but he still is definitely detached, which yeah. is why I think it's so inventive for the film to start out like that because it shows he's still young, but he's still very driven. Why else would he reach out to Paul to have him be his tutor? Yeah. I, I understand that. I think that's a fantastic way to start out the film, personally.
0: Yeah, it was just a thought. I I, I didn't know how much I really actually, like, lended Koreans to it. It was just, like, an idea that popped into my head that mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. So maybe he's, like, thinking, like, oh, maybe, like, you know, I could learn how to bring back someone from the... Oh, it's kind of, Now it kind of sounds like fucking Anakin. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, it's like, ah, like, I, I, if I could control... Well, life, a lot of the yeah, ideology from die, but...
1: the, the prequels in Star Wars does come from horror films, too. Yeah. That's the reason he cast fucking Peter Cushing and christopher lee in them
0: yeah yeah i just thought that that was an interesting idea but then again in in the way that the character is characterized i don't know why he would care that much um but also you never
1: know maybe his relationship with his parents was vastly different i
0: i just don't that's something we just don't know yeah um also can we talk about for a second the fact that um he's going to marry his cousin it's not a big deal really it's like i know it's I, definitely an old and I, I know that in in victorian era like it's a different society it's just nowadays it kind of weird is it really that weird though no it's, yeah. it's not something that ruins the movie like literally the fact that they're describing her as his cousin could be ripped out of the movie yeah like, it doesn't change anything i just find it interesting that they do specify that it's his cousin yeah um, i'm not gonna sit here and be like oh my god fucking alabama cousin fucking or something but yeah i just think that's that's interesting uh, but again, like I think that's not that abnormal in Victorian society, which I believe. I don't is know if she's place.
1: related to him in the book or not. Either maybe I have no idea.
0: I haven't. Yeah, I haven't read it. Yeah. Um. That specified like that's not something that they go into in the 30s one or anything yeah so i don't know i thought that was weird i mean also, it's definitely Paul, not Paul definitely wants her definitely not the norm oh yeah i always believe they end up together at the end <laughs> yeah i mean that's kind of yeah I, i'm not gonna read it this way like like he lets he lets victor die so that he can have her but no he definitely
1: it's definitely not a selfish reason why he lets no. victor
0: die but it, it is it is a selfless way he's giving up at least in the film only friend yeah for the betterment of the world essentially yeah
1: also elizabeth's rule only personal attachment with anybody in
0: the film is technically with paul yeah, he's, the she emotions has more, are genuine yeah she has more actual like connection to the character because victor's barely around at least on the yeah screener. like also he, he's not really victor with her yeah they specify that he like she is not see him for like weeks at a time it's just, like that's yeah that's not a relationship that's y'all get married that's not that's not how you that's, yeah. that's bad i mean so, it's a
1: arranged yeah. marriage so yeah
0: i know like I said, it's just like you're you're not going to have a connection with that person, whereas even though Paul is like trying to make her leave, like he, he's showing genuine care for her, whereas Victor isn't. Victor, Victor give a fuck less. Victor threatens to so. use her in the experiment to Paul at the end. Yes, which is what causes their big fight yeah. at the end. Yeah, this movie fucking rocks. It I really, really like does. It. It's like, like, I remember the first time I watched it, like, I liked it. And I talked to you about it afterwards. I'm like, yeah, I really like this movie. It's really good. And then I rewatched it. I'm like, no, this is genuinely awesome. The themes, the
1: violence, like the idea of vengeance between like brothers. Yeah. It's so strong. And I can't understand why people don't really like this film as
0: much. I don't think the creature design is awesome. I like the first scene where he unwraps i'll say this because i i think that was a point that i that i brought to you and we were when i first watched it was like yeah i don't think that the uh the creature design is very good but i think after watching like it it's good because it looks like a like a a thing that was stitched together in a lab it doesn't look like like i love the james whale makeup and to me um not james whale makeup but the um the, the makeup from his movie um I love that iconic um, Frankenstein monster look, but that movie is definitely a bit, a lot more fantastical in a lot of ways. Whereas this one, they, they kind of want to make it as disturbing looking as possible. Um, at least at the time. And it looks like something that, that Victor stitched together out of pieces of a person that got fucking like hit by a car. Yeah. And it looks pretty disgusting. And I actually love it this time around. Um, I don't love it more or less. I think it's just, it's different and it's a different take. And it really works, and also it's very—it works very well for Lee's face, yeah. Um, And how expressive, like the first—the first shot of of the monster, where he he just locks eyes with Frankenstein, and he just—you see that like instant switch, uh, switch flipping of him being like, I'm going to fucking murder this person. It's like the first person I saw is like, impulsively, I need to murder this person. And I wonder, is that because he just felt the kind of fucking vibes that that guy, that character was giving off to him? He's just like, no, this guy's dangerous. I got to kill him. It's probably not that. It's just, Interesting way of looking at it. But you know that the monster makeup's sick. I love it. I, I even like it when after he gets shot in the face. Well, um when I say I don't like the design, well, I do like the design, first of all. I
1: like the design in general. I don't love it because I think the creature's face is great. It's the rest of him. Because the yeah. design is not just face and, and hands or whatever. He gets a fucking peacoat for like the rest of the film. And yeah. I don't love that. It's pretty boring. Cause even with um you know, the iconic makeup. I think Jack Pierce does it for, it's for Frankenstein. Man. It's not just that, it's also the costume looks great too and tattered yeah. and torn. You can't make him look like a mummy the entire film. I understand that, but give him something that looks more unique. Make the peacoat banged up. Make it look like it went through a fucking thresher or something. Yeah. His head, yeah. after by the end of the film, it has the the section cut out for the brain. And I love that because his hair looks all man. I mean it looks like a shitty wig. The the, the hair looks pretty bad to me most of the film, but when they shave it off and it's got that little section out, it's like, that's cool. It's more distinct and it's more real because it's oh, so ver- funny. the think- first
0: section, that's actually Christopher Lee's hair. Yeah? It's actually his hair.
1: It's just so dark. They, sh-
0: they show behind-the-scenes photos of, of them applying the makeup. It is, really? it is actually his hair. It's so dark, it looks fake. You know, it's, that's just... His hair was black when he was younger. No, his hair was super black. No, the later biggest, on, I agree. because they, like, they shave it.
1: The biggest thing I like about the shaving part is that he cosmetically looks weird, but... How fitting for the character of Victor Frankenstein to just cut out a portion of his head and leave the rest of it absolutely normal because he doesn't fucking care about him.
0: Yeah, because it's, it's, it's for him. It's he's like I created a being. Yeah, it's just a being though. It's not a person, so I don't. He doesn't get to what he looks like. Well, even, even if it was a person, he still wouldn't care. It doesn't matter. It's his creation. It's his property, essentially.
1: I would have loved one scene where he just looked in a mirror
0: and saw his face and just went fucking wild. That'd be cool. Yeah, that would have been great. But that would have been a nice scene. But yeah, like,
1: I, I just think the the costume should have been different. Something actually, of a bit more flair, especially with look at the costumes that everyone else wears. When it's they have these set pieces and, and costumes that look more like they're from an olden century, and he just has a peacoat. It's like, come on, dude, something
0: a little bit more unique, please. I would argue it almost makes him look more lowly than everybody else, and I yeah. kind of dig that, but I I, I mean, they, they could have done something more to dress dress the costume up a bit more, but I do like the, the idea that they dress him up purposely more lowly to put him below Frankenstein and everybody else.
1: I understand. I think they should have tattered it up at least a little bit more. No, yeah, no, I, Make I agree. Make it a bit
0: more unique. One of the things about the makeup, actually, I, I found really intriguing is that when I watched it, I'm like, I was looking at him when he walked out of the woods um, in the peacoat, first time you see him in the peacoat. Yeah. Um, and you could see below his neck you can see that like that's where the makeup ends and it's just his body yeah i, I don't like that uh, i don't like that but then i was thinking about it. i'm like no you know what he's just a fucking head stuck on a, on a body but so, he's technically i mean we assume we never see the head we know the eyes are different yeah the eyes are new yeah but but the rest of it like he's he's got all these scars like they obviously stitch all that back together yeah. again, so his face is all fucked up but the body is the guy who was hanging and yes. that was not affected. They said like the only thing that happened was that they went to the face. So they cut the head off and they replaced yeah. it. So that all that, like the body being fine, I can get behind that. hundred um, percent. So like the think... whole, the fact that it just cuts off at his neck where the, where they attach to the neck, I kind of can get behind it. it it's hundred percent, a limitation of the, the makeup at the time and it's not intentional i'm sure but in my head i can at least work that out where it works in my head but so, it so
1: the narrative though. lends itself to making that acceptable too at the yeah. same time if you're going to have limitations have the narrative explain those limitations so you as a viewer aren't jarred by it and i think that's smart
0: yeah they deliberately I, I just make think sure some of the, the
1: makeup for the neck should just make it look a little bit more hanged not just like a big red like blotch yeah. but that's just like a very minor thing that doesn't really bug me it's more like
0: a, oh, okay it is what it is yeah i was surprised by how like my 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 big turn on on the makeup this time around because i remember i told you like i really don't like i think you look stupid back back when i watched it the first time and now i watch it like i really like it
1: i think it's so. different when you feel like you have to pay attention or notice things in the movie the smaller things kind of become bigger and you notice a lot more nuances that you you don't when you're first watching it in a more relaxed viewing so i think it's a good thing about talking about stuff like this because i already love the movie but i pick it up on small things cushing's doing when he's acting and yeah. now it doesn't become a great performance becomes a fantastic performance
0: yeah and same thing same thing even with the monster because we were, like we were talking about like the first time i watched it like i didn't really care for lee's version of the monster but now i actually really enjoy his version of the monster it's not the oh, same yeah. like it, it's it, it does it's it's doing its own thing but I like that thing it does, so.
1: Yeah, I would say early in the film when he does just look like a killing, me sh- killing machine to everything, like the old man and the kid, I, I start to really feel like this is what you're going to do. Like, that's so lackluster. But when it all comes to the scenes where he's telling him to sit up and stuff and Lee's body motions of trying to move, they just feel so authentic and real. And you, you feel like, I can't believe in a film where he plays like a makeup-filled, fucked up creature. And he's getting more acting out of this one scene than he did in almost anything else in the the fucking Hammer films. It's astounding. He makes that
0: scene just unforgettable. I couldn't believe it. To me, though, like like that, that's a great scene. But honestly, the scene with the blind man really gets me. Cause, yeah, because it really, see that. It, it really is just like he's not there to hurt the blind man. He's not there to hurt anybody. It's when it's when he feels threatened that he lashes out against him, and the kid gets there when he's in his rage and assumedly kills him too. I also uh,
1: like to think of in the thirty one version, he can at least grunt. This one doesn't. He doesn't make a sound. The only sound he makes is when he screams at his death. Well, but... he,
0: he also makes a sound when he um he goes to to kill um frankenstein the first time does he okay yeah he he makes like a a groan or um a grunty kind of noise but he doesn't make it a it's like a a common thing yeah In,
1: in bride of frankenstein when the monster talks to the blind man he can at least grunt so he can show he's not threatening but he's there oh i love that fucking scene but in this movie there's nothing he can say he can't relay any type of emotion or anything in general yeah so it's more believable it's like oh well if you're a blind man, you can hear someone nearby, but they say nothing. That's way more terrorizing than just hearing random yeah. grunts.
0: So you can understand it from both. perspectives. You can't perspectives. read anything. Yeah, you're, you can understand it from both perspectives. Well, not understand it so much because what what the monster does is still objectively wrong. But you can't
1: understand it though. You, you don't understand agree with with them. You can't
0: understand it you can understand his mindset, but it's not something that you can get behind as far as perspective is concerned, but the, the blind man is just defending himself and he can't see. So he's already handicapped in, in a situation where he has to fight for his life. Um, so he's just, he doesn't know what's going on. He's just trying to make sure that no one's trying to rob him or something. And the monster's fucking stick. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> all is firewood, bro. or's pipe, bro. He's just steals tobacco. But from the monster's perspective, it's like the, the whole movie, the monster is dehumanized. Like he's treated as lower than human. So he doesn't, do anything that resembles human interaction as far as speak he can't he obviously can't speak he does barely even makes a sound because it just like again like he's not human to to everyone around him whereas like in like uh bride of frankenstein especially like the blind man doesn't know that this is a fucking monster he just wouldn't care it's it's someone who who is mute so he's just trying to teach him how to speak so and also, again, like teaching the monster that there are good human beings, where in this movie, the only good, uh, there really aren't good human beings that he interacts with other than the blind man. But the blind man, again, still represents a threat to him because he has the stick and he's trying to hit him with it.
1: Well, also the the little girl that he murders. No, <laughs>
0: in, in, um, Curse. I don't remember him. In Curse, the little kid. Yeah. You talk about the little kid because the little kid, like the little well, I kid, you're
1: just talking like there's no good human beings in the original Frankenstein universe except for the blind man and the little
0: girl. Really? No, Damn. but like the blind man and the little girl are the ones that yeah, like they're they they are like good human beings that teach him that like people aren't all mean. Yeah. And aren't, aren't all going to hurt you? In Curse, there's really nobody that shows that they would trust him. There's no compassion towards this. even even Paul, who is the voice of reason throughout the movie. He's not even showing compassion to the monster yeah like he's he well the only compassion that he's showing to the monster is essentially putting it out of its misery yeah which to him is like okay this this person even even the best person in the room doesn't treat me like i'm a person yeah um so his violent tendencies to me are completely understandable despite the fact that i don't agree with them like obviously i don't think that he should be you know fucking killing people but when you're not treated like a human being he's just a monster at that point even even like paul literally calls him a monster it's just like yeah he's a monster i get it at that point that's why i do really genuinely enjoy this version of the monster it's different which is what i mean they legally couldn't do the same things um but i i do appreciate the fact that we have two different frankenstein movies where the frankenstein's monster is completely different one thing i really want to um touch on we haven't even talked about yet is actually the um the set design the um the visuals, the cinematography, and all that stuff, because this is kind of like a a, a, a staple of Hammer horror is the way that they look. Because Terrence Fisher did a bunch of them. He directs and,
1: like usually the first in the franchises, but he doesn't do many after that.
0: Yeah, I don't know if he. Yeah, no, he did do a *Curse of the Werewolf* too, but the sets are always so lavish. Like they look so incredible, and the 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 choice to shoot in Technicolor. It's just, it's, it brings such a vibrance to the film in every aspect. The colors on the, on the costumes look incredible. The color on the sets, the, the amazing upholstery on the, on the fucking furniture and all that stuff. But also because of these movies really leaned into a bit more of a more um, risque version of these movies in for the fifties, at least for, for that time period, the blood is super vibrant. Um, it, it's, it's crazy how just bright the the blood is and it's like yeah this this one has it a bit um you know like when when frankenstein gets shot uh, when the when the monster gets shot and um when he cuts the 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 fucking guy's head off and puts it in the acid you get a little bit of blood here and there but i think in particular the the i mean this isn't for this movie but hammer's version of of blood is the 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 dripping of the blood on on dracula on the the Um, head yeah it just looks so fucking gorgeous the i don't know what it was about hammer horror man but like the way that these movies look it's just it's otherworldly at times it's so fantastical especially with um with like dracula um because they they have these like big gigantic shots of these matte paintings and um you know again like all the blood and the lavish sets the the color the, the color and the costumes like it just it looks so vibrant and beautiful i just i love the way that these movies look i will just say that I was wrong.
1: For most of the uh, Frankenstein films, Terrence Fisher does direct them, actually.
0: Most not of the Frankensteins? Most of the
1: Frankensteins, ones, of Frankenstein, he does them. Oh, wow. But, yeah, he even does, like, Frankenstein Creates Woman and, and, like, all those, even, like, farther in the entries. But, yeah, I think the biggest thing about why we don't talk about it is because it's just so synonymous. You know what I mean? Like, everybody knows it. Everybody says, like, oh, yeah, this and that. It's not like it's not great. It's fantastic. And one of my biggest things about griping about Bram Stoker's Dracula was that all these sets have no heart or meaning to them because they're not being interacted with by the actors. But in these films, the actors interact with everything. And Peter Cushion touches every piece of equipment he has in Curse of Frankenstein, which makes it all feel
0: genuinely real or being tinkered with. Paul walks into a room, picks up a book, opens it up, reads a couple pages of it. Exactly. down. Touches the brandy, dumps into the cups like, and all stuff. You know like,
1: how when you're watching an animated movie or animated show, you know what's in the background, what's in the foreground, because it'll be drawn? Yeah. Well, the big problem is in Bram Stoker's Dracula, everything feels like it's in the background. But in these movies, everything's in the foreground because they're getting touched, they're being interacted with, they're being used. You get a fucking old goddamn German man getting pushed over the railing. Like <laughs> yeah. Everything is being interacted
0: with. Everything <laughs> is being utilized in these sets. I that's one, that's actually one moment in the movie that kind of like I was like, oh, yikes, that doesn't look so good. Is when he gets pu- pushed off and he hits the fucking floor on his head. You can see the floor is like cushioned and it depresses. Yeah. But I just but think he has it's really a really fucking big head. There's a little teeny, <laughs> teeny, tiny little fucking uh, gripe to have. I'm not going to, you know, take it off. I love that head. scene though, because
1: it looks like he fucking broke his head.
0: He falls hard. Him just fucking crashing through the banister and all that stuff. If It
1: feels like a real person just fell though. Oh yeah! A lot of times when you watch films like that, it's like, oh, they used a fucking mannequin, or they use some other fucking stupid. No, shit.
0: It, w- it was 100% a stuntman. Yeah, like you can it see it his looks face. So painful. Yeah, he fucking he drops all like fucking eight feet or whatever. It's it's Jesus ridiculous. you yeah, know it it really does work, and you know it's actually kind of funny because he lands on his head, and. It's, it's kind of funny because it's like paul they make a big deal about how, how paul fucking um smashes the glass and puts it through the fucking brain also you fucking yeah. land on his head that's a lot of head trauma <laughs> that brain yeah, was already but you up could also say that
1: and i thought the same thing it's like well this guy fell fucking head first well yeah. when he's inspecting the brain he doesn't notice any abnormalities or any bruising or damage to it I,
0: I agree like i i understand that but at the same time if you really think about it there should be there should be,
1: yeah, hundred percent. That's
0: what I mean. It's like, yeah, I, I, agree. Like they, they deliberately make it so, like, oh yeah, there's no bruising. It's all perfectly fine. Puts it in the bag. All stuff for good. Yeah. But if you really think about it, like that guy let it, it fell eight feet headfirst onto his fucking face. His brain's yeah. gonna get crushed. So there would probably be damage to the brain already, but they they talked that away, sure. um and then they smashed the glass into it. What if they uh, just Brought him to
1: like his lab, like oh check this out, and he's like looking at something. He just swings just a big a... axe in the neck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just fucking just puts it, puts it on the table. Puts a little yeah. gives him a little bit of a drug, and he just fucking starts sawing. Might head, be a oh. little
1: tougher to explain to people. Oh, how do he get his head
0: cut off? Oh, he was messing with my teapot. I don't,
1: <laughs> you know, like what's he gonna say?
0: Yeah, no, I like it, it's definitely a, a necessary way to do it. I just think it's funny that he literally lands directly on his head. Oh yeah it has no head trauma before the glass that's that's amazing but yeah, no like it, it is it, like everyone knows that the, the hammer movies are just like gorgeous pieces of, of film but I just it's love always it because they keep it simple yeah, they keep I mean, it, it so simple that there's really only like
1: two to three locations in this entire film but it doesn't feel small it feels still very yeah. grand
0: and like the, like that's that's also a really important thing cuz we all, they always refer to hammer as the house of horror And until recently, I didn't even realize like they literally mean a house of horror, like for like Curse of Frankenstein especially, and for horror Dracula, they shot. There's there's this, they have this house that is their production studio, and they just use this house to make these movies, and that's insane. And the movies show for like like it's um the budget for this was like five hundred thousand dollars but my god do they they i mean back then that's a whole hell of a lot more money than it is now but the the just the quality seven yeah. it's still
1: not a crazy amount of money though still even in 57
0: uh for movies because like they like one million dollars was just like that, that that's like practically 200 200 million dollars these days so that that would that would be a huge that that would that would not be a small movie but it wouldn't be a huge movie either but just them shooting it all on set in that house, they're not paying to build lavish, extravagant giant sets. They made money back on their investment hand over fist. Like, they made a lot of money off of this movie. This and horror Dracula. It'd be around, like, six million. Yeah, that's a small movie nowadays. Yeah, so it still wouldn't be crazy for a budget. That's that's less than what they they paid to make Invisible Man. And that's assuming for 1950 too. Um, that's that's less than Invisible Man. It's less than the new Halloween. That's 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 a small movie nowadays. Very small.
1: That movie. pisses me off, man. Just what? make good fucking
0: movies. <laughs>
1: Just make them personal. Make it small scale. I don't need to see a fucking giant amount of different aerial locations. You could shoot in like the old Dark House takes place in one location. Yeah. It's fucking same awesome. Th- same thing with the I, I miss
0: I miss stuff like that so much. You can still find them. They're just rare.
1: Yeah. Or it's just like indie studios too that do a lot of stuff like that. But yeah, like so you'd burnt, be surprised like, what you can do with limitations that people always forget that shit. Like, have you seen? I just Buried? wish bigger
0: studios would try that too once in a while. Like, have you, have you seen Buried with uh, Ryan Reynolds? I've seen part of it actually. Yeah. yeah. This movie takes place completely in a fucking coffin. That's nuts, dude. That's fucking crazy. And it's awesome. It's a great movie. Um, There's just something great about, to me, having a big mansion.
1: And having the entire place, the entire movie take place in this mansion and unfold. That's kind of why I like most of, even like Knives Out, most movie takes place in that mansion. Yeah, I, I kind of don't like when it's not in the mansion. It doesn't ruin the movie or anything, but like when things are in the mansion, things feel wa- way more tense, way more real. When you take yeah. it out of the mansion, it's almost like, uh, oh, it kind of sucks, man. It, it's necessary for the film, and it it definitely has to be like that for some scenes, especially up there's something so cool about a cohesive tight plot that takes place in one location and it feels so secluded and and so claustrophobic that as the film goes on it's like oh my god oh my god oh my god
0: yeah and it's like they, they always <clears throat> reference the village you never see the village it's always i'm gonna go tell the village and they don't go tell the village it's always like the house inside the building and then the surrounding forest that's the that's the setting for the movie <laughs> Um, it's very economical filmmaking, and um, smart. It's very smart, especially because like they, they maximize their budget for the things that they were doing. Like the sets, the, the stuff that they built inside the house are incredible. Especially like the the laboratory. The laboratory is so fucking cool. Um, it's only is two one
1: rooms of, too. Yeah, it's, it's one So coolest, amazing that it's two rooms.
0: Yeah, it's one of the coolest looking fucking laboratories I've ever seen. Yeah, it's just oh my god, it's such a gorgeous. The the rooftop part, like towards the end, where you finally see that like the rooftop the final showdown awesome awesome looking set too it's just it's such a fucking good looking movie and like yeah like you said like it's, it's something that everyone talks about when we talk about horror a uh, hammer horror but it's something that like yeah we talk about a lot for a reason because it, it's just it's amazing what they did what they accomplished it's with... right
1: it's powerful
0: it's poignant
1: and it's simple yeah
0: and, and and it's it's the return of the gothic all the architecturally it's just it's such a oh my god it's such such a fucking great looking movie And all of the choices they make from from a set perspective and and costuming, just like it, really, really helps you cement yourself in that place.
1: All right, man. Final
0: thoughts. Final thoughts. *Curse of Frankenstein* is a fantastic horror movie. It is filled with amazing performances, particularly from its two leads, the costuming. Really. Yeah, if you count the the monster too, but like all the acting is great sets are amazing the the technicolor film, uh, filming is just so beautiful it's just such a great looking movie the character of victor frankenstein is a villain for the ages and he's your protagonist it's just such a incredible film that i think every horror fan should watch eventually yeah i mean that's, that's pretty much all i can say
1: of frankenstein is a film that came out in 1957 in an age where they're trying to put more color on screen push new boundaries and do it in a way that didn't seem like it was about a gimmick. And at that time, it's totally a gimmick. You know, you don't see this much technicolor blood splattering. That's more poignant in a film like horror of Dracula, but curse of Frankenstein takes that type of ideology, runs with it, keeps things simple, keeps it with a strong narrative and keeps you invested. I think any Frankenstein film would showcase that the monster is important but the monster inside Victor is just as diabolical, but no film gets that better than this Frankenstein. And that's why I think it's necessary to see not only Cushing's performance, but everyone else as they interact with this terrible
0: monster of a human being. And I would definitely recommend it. I think it's, I think it's a, a great companion piece to watch with those old Universal movies because it is such a a, a change in, in perspective. Especially the first Frankenstein and Bride.
1: Because those yeah. two films do pretty much coincide together.
0: Yeah, it's it's completely it's a completely different way of looking at the story. I think that watching them together is an interesting evolution of, of this property that has been timeless.
1: I want to thank everyone for joining us today. We're going to have more outtakes coming up on the YouTube channel. We're going to have a pretty consistent schedule releasing the audio Thursdays on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff on Anchor. Anchor. But we're going to consistently post the video format on Fridays. So if you look forward to that, check it out on Fridays. If you like just hearing our voices, check it out on Thursdays. Outtakes, look forward to that on Saturdays. And I think that pretty much covers everything. Thank you so much for everyone joining in. And we'll see you next time.